Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 1.33 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you on the Wednesday edition of Oilers Now. Got to tell you that Royal Pizza is pizza, pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years now for a menu and a list of their 14 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. We've got our NHL insider John Shannon hanging out on the phone right now. John, uh, we'll, we'll start with some somber news and perhaps you can shed a little more light on this. I'm not sure whether John or uh, uh, Doug Armstrong has spoken during the time that we've been on the air, but Jay Bomeister collapsing in a scary incident on the bench last night. Uh, do we know anything more today? Actually, Doug Armstrong is about to speak any moment now, uh, Brendan. It was it's supposed to be 3.30 Eastern, 1.30 Mountain Time uh, when Doug had an update. What I can tell you is, is what we found out this morning was uh, the Blues were intending to fly to Vegas last night because it's the father's trip, and they elected to stay in Orange County uh, while Jay was uh, uh, in the hospital. And uh, not more than an hour after he was taken from uh, the Honda Center, uh, people were texting him, and he was texting back that things were looking good. So uh, certainly a scare. Uh, we've seen this before. Yuri Fisher, uh, Rich Peverly. Uh, certainly a scare for someone of, uh, oh, well, of anybody, but uh, with a, a, the great background that Bo Meester has, and hopefully he'll uh, um, he'll have a full recovery. Uh, career is another story, but hopefully physically he has a, a complete recovery. Yeah, and a 17-year veteran, uh, cop last year, gold medal in 2014. The resume speaks for itself, but I'm glad you brought up that Yuri Fisher incident, John, because I feel like that was sort of a precedent setter for how teams handled this sort of thing moving forward. Having the doctor, uh, two doctors in, in-house, one no more than 50 feet away from the bench, having the defibrillator close. I mean, this is exactly the type of subsequent incident that they prepared for and obviously it paid off last night no question um, Kenny Holland was the general manager in Detroit at the time and uh, Yuri Fisher who's gone on to a, a great career off the ice working uh, uh, in the hockey operations depart, uh, department for the Red Wings um, but uh, certainly it ended his career as it ended uh, Rich Peverly's career uh, but uh, the precedent set by what uh, what went on with the, the Fisher night is one that uh, probably and or potentially saved a couple of lives since. It's hard to believe that athletes of this fitness level are still just as vulnerable in some respects to that sort of thing as, as the average Joe walking down the street. It really brings it back to perspective. I guess the difference in my mind is the fact that there's a bunch of cameras at a hockey game. <laughs> 
The word human applies to all of us. Uh, Brendan, it doesn't just apply to uh, some of us. The word everybody's human. Everybody has uh, issues, uh, health issues, personal issues, and athletes are no different. Leon Dreisaitl has almost been superhuman in this last run of games and, and helping drive that excellent now top line for the Oilers. Good precedent setter for what they're going to have to do moving forward without the captain last night. I think they executed just fine. Uh, is, in your mind, is that sustainable? Great question. You know, I, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I thought their first shift of the night where they were, they were given the mantle because of Connor's absence, given the mantle of of starting and then and being the the focal point for the offense i thought they were first great in that first one offensively even though they didn't score uh, and then the last minute and a half of play dave tippett has those three forwards out there uh, guarding uh, the the defensive zone and and they played it perfectly as well i i think that that was a real indicator to me about not just dreisaitl but nugent hopkins and yamamoto doing what they had to do in order to get through this string of games uh, and we know how good they've been since they've been put together. Uh, but last night to me was just another uh, level where they were, were and the confidence I'm sure that they have coming out of it. Uh, it. It will be interesting. The depth the depth question, which, Brendan, as long as you and I have been around this hockey club, has always been an issue. Uh, the depth, um, which I think people questioned, uh, really proved itself in in my mind last night when you consider you know a chase on goal or a Shehan goal um, and or at least a chase on opportunities guys deeper into the forward units doing what they had to do it was pretty pretty darn impressive and we'll see if it can carry over onto the road bit of a different story but a place where they've had success in simplifying the game to something more like what they're going to have to play without mcdavid anyways so they get a first tough test in tampa though tampa is a little bit short-handed right now so a bit of a litmus test here and mike smith was another huge part of it last night john i suspect he'll get uh, probably tampa bay uh tomorrow as well just because of the run that he's been on but he's, he's been a bit of a breath of fresh air and a large part of the recent success as well. Yeah, he he has, you know, and it's uh, it's an interesting one. I I, I I was one of those guys that was lukewarm on Dave Tippett becoming the coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I am prepared completely to eat my words. Uh, and I think that uh, just as Mike Sullivan has done in Pittsburgh, probably done his best coaching, uh, I would give it to you that I think Dave Tippett, in my mind, in his complete National Hockey League coaching career, I think Dave Tippett's done his best coaching of his career with his Edmonton Oilers team. I think the time away from the game helped Dave. Uh, I think that uh, working with uh, players like Dreisaitl and McDavid has helped Dave. Uh, and I think that uh, the coaching job that Tippett has done through the season, in particularly games like last night, uh, in my mind, uh, has has made a huge difference for this hockey club, which is why I'm not near as worried if I was an Oiler fan. Uh, I'm not near as worried over the next five or six games if Connor's not there. Um, let's talk about that just briefly. Uh, some people raising an eyebrow that he went off to Toronto. Sounds like that's no big deal, just kind of an opportunity for him to do that with the team on the road, and then he'll rejoin them back in Edmonton. But, uh, you know, I guess just a, a situation of being extra cautious with their prized asset? I think so. You know, you know, the collective bargaining agreement allows for a player to get second opinions. Um, it's something that the player has bargained for. It's the it, it, they were granted. 
Uh, and let's put it all in context. If you uh, watched any of the three times on Sportsnet where uh, the documentary on Connor's rehab last year, if you watched any of it, uh, he has a tremendous relationship with some doctors and therapists in Toronto. Uh, and there would be no, and so the, the twofold aspect of ensuring that this has nothing to do with, with the knee, uh, and the confidence he has with the, the people that he dealt with all through that process, whether it be Mark Lindsay, uh, whether it be, uh, Dr. Anthony Masha, uh, it's just to me, it's common sense and logical. Uh, and, and I, I think, Brendan, you've been around Connor enough and know Connor well enough that uh, it probably was a wise distraction. His focus on trying to help the Oilers and trying to get the playoffs uh, back in Edmonton, um, for to have him out of town to do something, to be focused on do something, probably was better for Connor's mental health than it would have been if he had hang around, was hanging around and watching the team. Right, and that's another element, John, that I, I don't think gets considered often enough uh, in these circumstances. We're chatting with our NHL insider, John Shannon. John, tonight... The Vancouver Canucks are going to raise the Sedin's numbers up to the rafters, deservedly so. I mean, I grew up in the yep. BC region, so I watched their basically the entirety of the primes of their careers. Uh, <laughs> special, special kinds of hockey players, right? Different from the not necessarily explosive speed. I don't think they would have been anywhere close to what they achieved individually, uh, but they did it as a team, and, and it's been really special to see what they've done in that community too. By the way, I grew up in the BC region as well, but my favorites were Bobby Schmatz and Andre Boudreau, but that doesn't count. <laughs> a bit of a different era. Eh? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You know what? I, I, in, in many ways, uh, the bold move by Brian Burke to trade up and, and get to have the ability to draft both. Mike Barnett was their agent at the time. Uh, and, and what they went through early in their careers. And, and, and by the way, those first two years, the frustration of Canuck fans that these guys weren't as prolific as they were sold on being. Um, but, but when you think, when you think about at times uh, the way the game played and how they forechecked and how they were, uh, that the extra sense they had of the blind pass or the cycle, uh, I don't think I've. I, I don't think in my time around the National Hockey League, uh, I have seen anything as close to it uh, with the two of them. Uh, and, and maybe there's only a couple of times in my career that you'd say that, uh, and one of, and a couple of times probably would have included Wayne with a teammate, but nothing like what Daniel and Henrik uh, did on a constant basis. Uh, and, and brought the Canucks back to uh, to credibility through that first decade of the of the 21st century. They were they were remar remarkable players. They are remarkable people. Uh, the fact that they also have uh, dedicated to stay on, on the Lower Mainland to me is uh, impressive with the type of people they are. A lot of people would have gone back to Sweden, but they like living in Vancouver. They like the lifestyle. Uh, and in many ways, uh, every uh, every reward they get, every honor they get uh, from Vancouver fans, and I think eventually from the Hockey Hall of Fame, it'll be interesting if they can go in together. Um, are, are all the, all those things are well deserved. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm curious. Outside of having the blinders of just these guys were an era all of their own, are they Hall of Famers? Given the fact that in that 2011 year, ultimately they didn't get the job done. No, they didn't. But they, you know, but the world has changed um, in in not getting the job done. And you know, they do have Olympic medals. 
they they were even though there were times they weren't even invited to the the Swedish national team, uh, but they did get Olympic medals. Uh, and, and as individuals, as individuals, I don't think they probably are Hall of Famers, but as a tandem, they are. And I know that defies all logic. And I think that that's what the Sedins have done all their lives. They've defied logic, and I think that they do deserve to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, but only together, not as individuals. All right, John, we'll leave you with this as we wrap up with our NHL insider, John Shannon. Just curious if there's any more of an update on the NHL and Olympics situation since we last spoke on Monday. It sounds like they're still pretty far apart. Oh, don't hold your breath. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan, don't hold your breath. Listen, this is, uh, this is a, a, the, the, the flicker of hope uh, that uh, the leaks came out on the weekend and says they're getting closer because the IOC and the Federation are prepared to give in. Uh, I, I think they were done for a reason. I think that there was, that was done to put pressure on the National Hockey League to acquiesce. Uh, and I can assure you in no uncertain terms, the National Hockey League will only do it on its terms, not on the terms that are dictated by the IOC, by the Chinese government, by the International Ice Hockey Federation, or by the Players Association. All right, John, thank you very much for your time. We'll uh, check in next time. Have a great day, Brendan. Thanks. You too, John. That is John Shannon, our NHL insider. We're going to press pause one last time here on Oilers Now. Kyle, appreciate you hanging out on hold. I'll get to your call after this. Hi, this is Leon Dreisaitl from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Chat. We'll get to this day in Oilers history in a moment here, but Kyle ever so patiently hanging out on our River Cree Resort Casino hotline on hold. Kyle, you want to talk trade deadline? Let's do just that. What is on your mind, my friend, as we bring you aboard? I think it would be a mistake right now to trade Larson. Okay, what's the rationale there? Um, you got a team right now gelling, working together. Every line is stepping up, especially with the issues of adversity that they've been fighting for the last two months. And... That's just something that you don't do is you don't start breaking up lines and breaking up a team when everyone's doing their job. So as far as acquiring a winger, have you thought about what you might ship out to acquire, say, the likes of a Kasperi Kapanen or an Andreas Janssen as an example? I honestly say we got enough young talent right now that's showing their um, future mm-hmm. that I would not take that risk. And that's a fair point, and, and, and maybe not even in a year where they're pushing for the playoffs. Perhaps it comes in the off season. but, you know, I get what you're trying to say. You need that chemistry in the room, on the ice, when it comes down to crunch time. And, and in my opinion, Kyle, down the stretch, that's where a guy like Adam Larson is going to come in handy. It's not a time to be trying to play without him. And, like, you look at um, people questioned uh, Mike Smith coming to the team and look at uh, how much he has made that team gel together. Yep. So when you, a team starts gelling, the worst thing to do is start breaking it up. Yeah, agreed, my friend. I appreciate the call, hey, and thanks for hanging out on hold for so long. So no, some people are saying to trading Adam Larson. And, and 
I, I don't mind that either. Again, you watch how St. Louis went about getting it done in the playoffs last year. And they needed that grit, that size. You know, even a guy like Jujar Kara, I know he's he's not been performing anywhere near what we all believe his potential to be, even what he flashed a few years ago. But in round one, maybe round two of the playoffs, if they get that far, you don't want to be missing that size. Think back to how much scrutiny Jordan Everly was under for not being able to play in that type of environment. And then he's out of town, you know? So I don't... I don't move Adam Larson this year. He's valuable. And if you're going to get the type of return that's going to help your playoff push more than having a rock-solid defenseman is going to be, then you make that move. But I think you live with the fact that he doesn't really give you much offensively for the fact that he is going to give you plenty defensively. Who would be the right shot defenseman with Larson gone? If Larson is easy to replace, why would Toronto be trading for him? Well, I think the point that a couple of our guests have made today is that he's not necessarily easy to replace. And in the regular season, that's where you're looking at a guy like a Caleb Jones or a William Legison, those fleet of foot puck moving defensemen and saying, okay, this is better fit. And you're not going to hear an argument from me on that point. I'm thinking longer term this year. I'm thinking... April. I'm not thinking end of February. Let me know what you think. 780-496-0063. Rockford says you've got to give up good players to get them back in a trade. Larson and Kara to Toronto for Kapanen and Freddie Gauthier. There's your top six winger and potential third line centerman. I, 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 don't, I don't hate that deal. Would it work financially? I'd have to go take a peek. Um, but I think that the Leafs would have a spot on their team for both Larson and for Jujar Kara. Now, the market may have softened a little bit for Jujar in Toronto, at least, with the acquisition of Kyle Clifford because they play very similar games. But we've heard throughout the course of this season, maybe it's a package of Benning and Kara that gets one of those guys out of Toronto. The appeal to these guys in Toronto is that they just got signed with a bunch of term at a reasonable cap hit, right? So I think it's three years at three per for both of them, 3.1 and 3.2. So that that's where you're looking at these guys and saying it makes the most sense. I'm a little bit worried that prices around the league are going to be too high for the Oilers to do a whole lot, given what we saw it took to get Jason Zucker, who is well below uh, an offensive stallion really at any point in his career. I think his career high is 64 points and 82 games. It came a few years back. Is that the kind of guy you want to give up a first and Alex Galchenyuk and a second round pick and Kalen Addison for? What is the Oilers equivalent of that? I'm willing to bet that would have raised a lot of eyebrows around these parts if the Oilers had paid a similar price for the likes of a Jason Zucker. Would you agree? A very sarcastic text comes in. Why don't we trade Larson for Hall one for one? Boy, some things just never die, do they? What could we do to maybe get Kovalchuk? It's an interesting one. Uh, He's certainly upped his value there. I don't like the unpredictability in that situation. I don't know that he would assimilate to this team the way that he has in Montreal. Remember, he wanted to go to Montreal. He was okay with Montreal. For whatever reason, let's call a spade a spade. Edmonton ends up on a lot of non-trade lists. Maybe it's on his. We'd have to talk a little bit more in depth about the price of that. And it's going to also be heavily, heavily dictated by where the Oilers' record is as the deadline approaches in the next couple of weeks, by the way. That's from Ken Holland yesterday, so keep that in mind.
All right, let's go to this day in Oilers history. It's brought to you by New West Travel, Edmonton's premier, premier travel company for 40 years now. You can join 630 Chad's Jalen Nye on a spectacular tour of Iceland and Ireland this summer. That includes daily meals, sightseeing, and some spectacular events. For more information, call New West Travel or go online at newwesttravel.com. On this day back in 1993... Bill Ranford recorded his seventh career shutout as the Oilers won 6-0 over the Sharks at Northlands Coliseum. They got goals from six different players, and that was the Sharks' 17th consecutive loss, tying an NHL record. Do you hear that, Fear the Finn? 17 in a row, it tied an NHL record. They were in their second NHL season, and boy, it was not pretty for them out of the gates at that time. Who really turned that around for them, by the way? Vinny Damfus? Was it Mike Ricci? Owen Nolan a little bit later on that really helped flip that franchise and get it in the right direction. It really took off when Thornton went there a bunch of years back, but in a rebuild now, or certainly trending towards one as the days tick on here. Inside Sports coming up tonight. They've got guest host Dave Campbell going from 6 to 8 p.m. Sounds like a fluid show. Eskimos free agent signings yesterday. You can bet you'll hear plenty on that. Some Brock Sunderland audio, et cetera, et cetera. Tomorrow, Bob is back. He'll be doing the show live from Tampa Bay. Our guests will include Sportsnet color analyst Louis DeBrusque. Now, typically Tuesday has Brian Burke for Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, electrical prefabrication, solar. Berkey will join us on Friday. He's flying to Vancouver tomorrow for the Sedin ceremony, or I guess uh, an event in particular, a community event there as their jerseys go into the rafters tonight. So instead, who do we have? Freeds. Elliot Friedman from NHL Hockey on Rogers for our friends at the River Creek Resort Casino. Always appreciate your contributions on the text line. It's a pleasure hanging out with you. Brendan Escott saying so long. Up next, we've got a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, followed by 6.30 Chet Afternoons. With Rob Breckenridge from CHQR 770 in Calgary. So long, everybody. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.